We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Britt Robson and myself. I was going to say Britt Robson and myself of The Athletic, but I'm not of The Athletic. <laughs> Britt Robson is of The Athletic. Um, and I'm only quasi of The Athletic, it seems, doesn't it? <laughs> My brain is only quasi working here on Saturday morning. Um, but we are going to talk about... Uh, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves lately, as, as we usually do. And I'd also, Britt, I'd like to go... Um, I'd like to talk about the Timberwolves into the future uh, with we haven't I don't think last time you were on the pod, the the news of the sale hadn't gone through true um, to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie. So so let's hit on that as well. That's futuristic. But sure. but most recently, most presciently, I think is is last night's game against the Miami Heat. Another win against Jimmy Butler. Cody Sherritt, who works Another for... Another win? When was the last one? <laughs> they beat Jimmy Butler last time. They beat... That's what I was going to say. Oh, Cody okay. Sherritt, he works for... Uh, you know Cody. He's on the Timberwolves sure. social media team. And he's like, we've beat the Miami Heat five straight times. The Wolves have beat the Heat the last five times. I was like, no way that's true. I don't think that's true. No, he looked... I mean, he... he I think that is true. He he ran through all five for me. So, I they beat Jimmy. I when, remember when Tom Thibodeau was the coach... 
and and Spolstra basically just scalded the Wolves with a series of corner threes. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but that could have been more is, than five ago. Is that really that they played them? Did they play them twice last year? Even though it was a, a shortened season, I would assume so. To or maybe they didn't last year. Because I think, remember the D'Lo block at the end of the game in last year? And McLaughlin was, like, super good in the fourth oh, yeah. quarter. They yeah, beat yeah. the Heat in Miami last year. So I think those are the last two for sure. Okay. And then maybe two before in Tibbs' second year. Did they win? So are we talking about the first game that Tibbs ever played Miami? In T- I mean, as a coach of the Timberwolves? The, the Spolstra know. game you're talking about was at Target Center, because I remember yes. that. Yeah, it and was. it was just corner three, corner three, corner it three. It was cause... so bad that Tibbs admitted that mistake. I mean, that is so <laughs> rare. It was so rare. He said, well, you know, he was talking about his defensive strategy of, of when to challenge and when to match up in mm-hmm. the paint and everything. And uh, it was kind of fascinating. So, What did yeah, you think but- of last night? I thought that it was uh, the most spread out team win of the season, perhaps. Um, you could justifiably credit about seven guys for that win. And that's so rare in Timberwolves lore, you know, especially right. recently. Um, I would have given the game ball to Jared Vanderbilt. Um, I thought he was a difference maker in terms of uh, I would have given the game ball to Tyler hero, quite frankly, uh, <laughs> b- because of how awful he is and how much uh, he ruins the whole Miami strategy of how to play. I mean, they can't get that guy on the floor anymore, but you know, the other one that pointed out to me that his shooting stats are very, very similar to Anthony Edwards this year. On like half much, the volume too. As much as I love Anthony Edwards, um, Nobody could ever accuse him of being an efficient scorer this year. And right. uh, Tyler Hero exists to put the ball in the basket and almost no other reason. I know people mm-hmm. were trying to pretend he was a good defender last year. Um, and I think his numbers were mediocre. But let's face it, if Tyler Hero isn't hitting a lot of shots, he's not of value. And when he's missing a lot of wide open shots, he is a corrosive factor. And he was incredibly corrosive in the first half last night and gave the wolves a lot of confidence. Uh, he was coming in on the second unit, which meant that um, the second unit that was playing without cat in foul trouble um, was more than holding its own, uh, which enabled the wolves to have cat and uh, Ricky Rubio, another guy who had an exceptionally good game um, to come in and, and and really make a difference. And so it wasn't the cat show. It wasn't the D'Lo show, which has really been pretty much the the way the team has won recently is having those two guys just take over late in games. And so I was impressed. It was well-rounded. And, and the whole idea of the Wolves protecting the paint and kind of ignoring the three-pointer or conceding the three-pointer, again, Tyler Hero. Trevor Ariza was very hot in the first half, but they didn't really have a reliable three-point shooter besides him. And, and that really hurt them, I think. The idea that Adebayo and Butler almost always get their points in the paint, I think, uh, played into the Wolves' new defensive alignment. And the idea that Nas, Vanderbilt, and Wancho were a big front line that really had it cooking last night was uh, was fun. I mean, as somebody Go big, who, man. Somebody who has been ripping Wancho 
since the moment he set foot on the court uh, for the Wolves, I have to say that when they use him as a large ball three um, and he is in rhythm, I mean, he needs mm-hmm. to, he's like a lot of guys on this team. If, if they have some good things happen early, it does really improve their performance. That's true. I, I think the, the idea of this like well-roundedness or it was a lot of different players, it, it makes it makes more sense to me in the context of like, all right, we know we know with Cat and D'Lo that you're gonna get competence, right? Like on offense, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, and, and overall, I guess to peel back further, if you just have D'Lo on the floor, no cat, this team has cannot compete. If you have just cat on the floor and no D'Lo, it's it's kind of up in the air. Will it be a cat game? How well does the opponent play? And you between... need Edwards. You need Edwards to be uh, right. the guy he is once out of every three or four games. Exactly. So so we're looking at like maybe half of those games are competent, like to be able to even compete in it. And now I think what we're seeing with what Cat and D'Lo both play is it's like, all right, the competence is there. Getting blown out is is going to be rare. Not that you're going to win every game or even be fifty fifty, but you're you're in the game, right? Like you, it seems like you can compete with any of these middling teams, like the Kings, the Heat, the Bulls, whatever. And and then it's kind of I'm feeling like what we're seeing is what elevates them to a winning level is when they get help outside of Cat and D'Lo from players defensively. Because the Cat and D'Lo pairing has been objectively great offensively, so they need that Vanderbilt energy. They need that Akogi chaos. They need Rubio in passing lanes, Ant in passing lanes, those sort of things. They need a couple of those. And when that's happening, like I do think they're the equivalent of a 500 team. Right. If everything goes well, they're a 500 team. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, five, five and four in the nine games Cat and D'Lo have played in this year. Uh-huh. And Solid. so, uh, yeah, and and I think that that is something that can be built upon. I'm a little nervous about saying um, it's a solid foundation because I do think um, defense is so important. I am heartened by the fact that um, although Cat does wax and wane a little bit on defense, his defense is so much improved. Um, yep. Actually, most of his silly mistakes nowadays seem to be on offense, at least lately. Um, he 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 had he did make a couple last night that were. Yeah, I was gonna say he kind of got those exposed like in, in that first quarter, right? Like yeah, going yeah. back in the drop, misreading. Going right. up on the right. guard versus falling back on Bam. That is his thing. That is the yeah. thing that um, if there is a way to fix that, um, and some guys just are who they are. And, you know, um, he has – what he has cleaned up a lot is somebody when they dribble penetration right at him and he makes a decision to contest, he is going up straight far more often and he is getting in position earlier it, it seems like he's not um, hesitating to make the decision as to whether to leave his man or not. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because he leaves his man less often. Uh, so when he does leave his man, it seems to be much more rapidly decisive. 
And I think that's really important. I don't know whether that's Vanterpool, uh, the guy, the other assistant, not Vince, the guy who's now kind of tutoring him. Hanson, is it? Um, oh, yeah. Kevin Hanson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kevin Hanson. Um, somebody or maybe it's just Cat himself, you know, dedicated himself to something. I, I'd give, I would give Cat himself a good amount of that, that credit. Not to take away from Hanson or Vanterpool, but. Yeah. But, but I think whatever, you just start to see it. Like. Right. After a while, you become. I don't golf, but like from what I can gather from my friends who do golf, it's like when you actually have your golf swing coach filming you, you know, doing what you're doing, you go, oh, my God, in my head, what I've been intentionally working on or focused on, what I think I'm doing is so not representative of what my my swing actually looks like on film. And I think... I think in ways Cat was kind of like dismissive of of the film and was just relied on, not that I mean he was forced to watch film and by the right. team but really started like kind of peeling it back in slow motion like you would with your golf swing. There, right. I do think that has started to happen this season because yeah it is it is some of those small technical things where he's less often getting just totally exposed defensively and that's what. I would say for the you know the, the smarter part of the media contingent that rap, ripped on his defense, they were like, you are doing these same things over and over again defensively that leave your backside completely wide open or you're fouling in these situations. And it was, it was these repeated errors on defense that you're like, these are correctable and you're not correcting them. A lot of those he's, he, he's done this year. And it's interesting while you were saying that, it dawned on me that, this is the hallmark of bad teams is that cat has justification for saying the things. I mean, he can, he can de-emphasize the obvious mistakes that we see by saying I'm getting besieged by dribble penetration from all angles. That was accurate. So yeah. that um, he is able to say, and he said uh, that <laughs> exactly. he is able to say, I mean, and that's why, you know, Cat, Cat's gonna feel like, hey, you know, uh, I have a viable defense here. You know, it's right. it, it's like um, people want to rip on me for bad defense. Well, well, you got people coming at you left and right, putting the ball in the basket. What are you supposed to do? I'm like the guy with his finger trying to plug four holes in the dike. So, but do you remember when he would used to say that he's like, that's why I love playing with Covington because yeah. he'll be back there to have my backside, which really was. If you looked at it technically, that meant when I fucked up and overexposed myself, then then Covington's there to be like my rim help, right? Or right. once the guy goes past me. But that was one that isn't a good plan, right. <laughs> like to to be reliant on that right. at all. And you know Covington wasn't good at that. That wasn't Covington's best defensive skill set. So I'm curious, like. I'm curious how Cat would answer that question because you've asked him about that lots of times before. Right. And he's like, when I got Rocco next to me, when I've had KG next to me, who are the other guys? He knew Tayshon, he, he said, Tayshon Prince. Um, I wonder if that would still be his answer to the question of like, when do you feel most comfortable defensively? Part of me might think that he's would say like, in this freedom that he's had to go defend out on the perimeter to say the same thing he would deflect the question he would say 
Now we have a lot of variety here. Yes. Pro- yes. I, I can imagine him saying, opponents yeah. don't know what we're going to throw at them. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, it might totally. be me out on the perimeter now. It might be, hey, you know. And, and- and that's also, it's like, we're laughing at the way he would say that because we know the mechanics of it, but that's not actually wrong. And that Pat might actually a, be what he's Pat best at. That is not an unintelligent individual. He is a yes. smart guy. And yes. so, I mean, he's his own worst enemy sometimes in terms of uh, the way he phrases things, but the mm-hmm. logic behind what he thinks oftentimes is very, very sound. And so... Cat um, is smart, but he doesn't always realize that other people are too. That could be. I, all I know is that I think that he um, want he doesn't think that people under well this could be what agreeing with what you're saying he doesn't think that people understand his viewpoint when yeah. in fact they do understand his viewpoint it's just mm-hmm. that we also want to add a contingency to his viewpoint that partially besmirches his viewpoint so uh, <laughs> that, might, that might be on us. <laughs> No, I don't think it is. Uh, I'll, I'll take the cat roll in this now. <laughs> <laughs> I think my viewpoint is valid regardless right here. Okay, so overall with this defense, though, like, I think, I mean, for me, I, I've been forever, for two years now, been saying play more aggressive defensively. Th- this cat back at the rim every single time. This, this is a terrible plan. You know, don't do this, like, if it, the, right. the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. They've started doing different things, very much so defensively since the All-Star break with Chris Finch in tow. And so part of me is like, yeah, this is great, smart coach. But I also got to like cop to the fact that the defense still sucks. Right. The numbers are as bad as ever. So I think the question right kind of becomes – is this um, is this indicative, right? Is this going to how do we project it going forward? Will will this strategy, you know, over eighty two games next season lead to a better defense? Because the truth of the matter is, with solid is enough, it was it was weak. I thought it was overly conservative, but it was also like it's gonna get you the twenty second rated defense. Like yeah, you, you what you pointed out is that the floor is elevated. Yes, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, I, I was a valuable insight for me. Um, I think it comes down to what the culture of an organization is. Mm. And that begins with the head coach, I believe, and extends through the general manager, Pobo, whatever. The, the problem with Ryan and Gerson was that was flipped. And it was yep. the Pobo with the priority and the head coach with the assent or disagreement you know, disagreement. Um, Mm -hmm. But I am still convinced, despite his protestations, that Chris Finch is an offensive coach. He is not a defensive coach. And um, the Timberwolves will try to be a top 10 offense and a top 20 defense. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is the plan going forward. I think Finch is admitted as much sometimes when you talk about, you know, crashing the boards and transition, you know, he's admitted it with the personnel. He says, you know, yeah, yeah, right. No, I mean, he really isn't. I mean, and, and as we've discussed before, the NBA is, is trending that way. You know, it's an outscoring league right now. Um, And I I was looking at the, I was looking at the, the net rate or the, the offensive and defensive ratings of the wolves and the cat and D low minutes this year. 
with not just these five games, all all right, nine right. games, which is only 174 minutes. But I mean, right. I think for me personally, when when I'm just looking at lineup pairings, like that's enough for me to start gleaning something yeah, from it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, it's it's not nothing. Well, and, especially because it's a dominant pairing. It's one thing if you have two guys that are yeah, right, like, like one show and yeah, right, yeah, right, right. So so offensively, in those 174 minutes. The offensive rating is 119.3. Very good. Defensively, it's 116.2. Better than I would have expected. And so net, that's plus 3.1, which is like, okay, yeah. about what the record is, right? You know, but that pretty five good. And four. But yeah. pretty good. And and so I think to what made me want to list this off is we've talked in the past about this idea of just trying to outscore them and, you know, and be the Brooklyn Nets be the Portland Trailblazers, right? Like that is kind of those teams' stated philosophies. And it's, and it's the number one offense in the league is, is Brooklyn. And they're around that range that the Wolves are at offensively with Cat and D'Lo. And defensively, that defensive rating of 116.2 is exactly what Portland's defense is as well. So it's like, they're the, within their best possible situation with Cat and D'Lo on the floor, they are as good as they like can reasonably expect to ever be offensively and as bad as you expect them to be defensively as well. And I would be curious. I mean, I know you haven't run this and it probably the the sample size is very low, but if you threw ant in there, um, what would happen to the net rating? Um, Sure. Would, would be kind of fascinating because that is the conundrum uh, that we come back to. Um, I said what would impress me about last night was the, the, the breadth of good performances. Anthony Edwards was plus 19 and uh, he had five. Assist- exactly. The silence is what impressed me the most because he's been a loud presence pro and con, uh, right. you know, and the idea if Anthony Edwards can be, uh, I called it benign anodyne last night in a tweet because I love the rhythm of it. But um, I'm not sure it, I know what that means. Well, it, uh, anodyne is just something that is uh, by its presence generally makes things inoffensive and makes things good, you know, makes okay. things, you know, and benign is also kind of a passive, you know, if something is benign, a benign tumor is a tumor that's not right. going to kill you. It's not malignant. Um, but so anyway, Edwards last night, um, I think he was like five for 13 or something typical semi-engaged Edwards on the shot chart. Um, (laughs) But he got to the rim uh, and he, when he was going to the rim late in the game, he was dishing. He had one beautiful dime in the fourth quarter. And then one where he unfortunately passed it to Vanderbilt, which is his decision-making his decision-making at the rim is getting a lot better. I agree. Where but not only that, his decision to pass on, out of on, it. Yeah. And and also the idea that even if he doesn't even get to the rim, I like the idea that when he is inside the lane, but not yet quite in the paint and he sees somebody, uh, oftentimes that's a hockey assist or a would be hockey assist on a missed shot. But I have discovered Edwards being again, this benign, positive um he is trying to fit in 
to a team concept ever since D'Lo came back. And yeah. I'm in, I mean, for a 19 year old kid, that's really impressive. Um, you know, that's impressive maturity now because he said that all season. Yeah, He's like, oh, I'm the rookie. Like, this is their team, man. Like, you know. But after uh, – and who wouldn't after the Phoenix and Portland uh, explosion? <laughs> who wouldn't start to begin to say, hey, wait a minute now. Yeah. Maybe it's time for me – he also said, maybe it's time for me to become a leader on this team. So, uh, you know, I, mean, I getting, think he's, he's just figuring fluctuate. it all out. He doesn't – I don't think he is like when – a, when an opinion forms in his head – I'm not sure how much he believes in it. Oh, I think that uh, I, no. I, I wouldn't. What I, here's what I would say about that. I would say that his instincts. Are, yes, uh, I agree with that. They're uncanny. You know, Special. they are very, yeah. very good. Yes. Yeah. So no, I that love that even if, if whether he believes it or not, oftentimes it's in the ballpark of accuracy, if not dead on accurate, you know. I, I think he'll say it. I the the sense I get more with with a lot of the like more technical basketball stuff is he gets ideas and then he goes and runs that by Vanterpool. He runs that by Ricky, like that sort of thing. Right. Like I don't. I think he's still learning basketball, you know, to a, like or NBA basketball to right to some. And extent. I think mostly it's confirmation of his natural abilities. Right. I think that you know what he really wants and what he should get in some respects right yeah. now on offense, not on defense, on offense is this idea, if you think, you know, as long as you're not jacking up threes in the context of uh, one pass half court right. or within uh, outside like the 16 second mark of the clock, um, take those. Those have three. gone away. Those have gone, not away. Those have gone down a bunch. They've gone down a great deal and also – his three-point shooting, it remains problematical, but his shot selection has been whittled down to more appropriate than it used to be. And again, I think the important thing is, and last night was a great example of this, Edwards was on the floor a lot, and you didn't notice him, and the team was making runs. That's really, really extraordinary this year. It was like um, that five-minute run where you go, why isn't Bam out of bio out there? And I was like, he's been out there for the last six minutes. <laughs> because he wasn't about? guarding Cat on the perimeter. <laughs> I that, know, that, yeah. that was so silly. I mean, All right. Do you want these numbers from the, the Cat D'Lo ant? I do. You're going to laugh. No. So, so <laughs> I don't yes, think it's going to be funny. 56 minutes yeah. over, over five games of Cat, D'Lo, and Ant all on the floor together. Offensive rating 139.3. Defensive rating, 129.2. So net rating, plus 10. Plus 10. <laughs> See, I knew you'd laugh. There you go. No, Okay, so here, here's my thing with Ant, and what I think is a, is, a, is a huge improvement we've seen from like an X's and O's standpoint, right? He is the – he came in the NBA with a classic mentality of an offensive player that can be exploited by drop coverage in the NBA, right? Right. The entire idea of drop coverage is Invite we got – three. We, we've got an elite rim protector. Like, you want to come in here and go downhill against us? Like, bring it. Chris Stapps is here. Jared Allen's here. Whatever. Like, you can do that. And and so we're going we're gonna to wait back, which is inherently, you know, daring you to take the shot, preferably, like, show and hesitate enough to dare you to take that 16-footer. 
And Ant is like, he's been playing basketball his whole life where he's like, you're going to give me this shot? I mean, he said as much times right. this year. If they're going to give me this shot, they're going to go under the screen. If they're going to drop back, I'm going to shoot it. And because the NBA is so efficient offensively, I mean, in comparison to what right. happens in college basketball or high school, like that doesn't work. You're going to lose in the long run. And Ant had his, I don't know, what would you call it, like 20 25 game stretch there where he was getting the opportunity and we're like I'm looking at the numbers every night and, and tallying them up of like all right that's 11 straight games of under 50% from two you know right, right. and 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 that's how we got these Tyler Hero numbers right. is is so much from that stretch of time where he was given the high usage and he was dared to use it by drop coverage uh, uh, by other teams in the league and Finch who very very rarely get specific in the way he calls something out mm -hmm. called out the shot selection of threes versus twos and and then basically spun he it said flip a, it he yeah. said flip it go it's two-thirds shots one-third at the rim i want to see that flipped and he also then he did it in a in a what i think was a very intelligent phrasing was we're a different team mm. when he gets downhill um, that appeals, if you're 19 years old and you hear our whole team changes when you do a certain behavior, that appeals to your ego, that appeals to your desire to be an immediate star of something, you know, and I think it made a difference in, right. in terms of the way he began to look at things. And then and we know this because how much he chafed at your question early in the season about passing. Uh, <laughs> he really does regard himself as a very unselfish player and a very good passer. And I would say while that is not as proficient as he thinks in his own mind, He's he got the is skill set. already mm -hmm. on his way. That is not an aspect of his game if he wants to continue to hone it, that I think will be a weakness for him. I think he can dish off the dribble very well. Um, that live fact, dribble, live dribble passing for him. I was about to say he's better off the dribble than he mm -hmm. is trying to size up the court because um, defenders are just basically waiting to jump the lane on him. Most yeah. of his turnovers seem to be um, like interceptions of football where the guy, the guy doesn't mm -hmm. see the linebacker. You know, right. so. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the stuff is best highlighted with highlights is there's been a couple of times with Edwards on the break, right, where you see him in transition making that left handed live dribble pass. I think right. it was against the, the Kings. He, he gets that steal and he starts like sprint dribbling up the floor and he's right. got Jaden McDaniels running with him. He kind of he does that behind the back and now he's got right. his left hand live dribble pass. Right to Jaden who goes up and dunks it or lands right. it, it up or whatever. It got shown like six million times because it was two exactly. rookies doing great things. Exactly. I was one of the people <laughs> perpetuating that narrative. Um, but but it like he it shows you he has that skill set and he actually uses that. He right. has used it at times this season just in your normal half court offense right. where he kind of like gets to that spot coming off a of pick and roll and he's in like the you know the pick and roll jail, right? Around right. the nail and looking and that's when he has this ability to, with his left or his right hand, live dribble, zip pass a ball to one of the corners. Now, those right. guys usually don't make them, right. but, 
But that part of his game, I've been watching the Grizzlies a good amount, you know, over the course of this past month. That's that such a great team. That is a very John Morant thing. Yeah. Like, I think, actually, similar to Ant, you know, if people aren't watching the Grizzlies, you think John Morant is just this high-flying dunk guy because you see, you know, every two weeks right, right. some sort of insane dunk. But John Morant is, like, John Morant is a really good passer. He, he's and he's a, got a the best player. collection of crashing bigs in the NBA, perhaps. Right. I mean, between JV and Clark and uh, even, the, like, Kyle Anderson is really, really good on hitting the glass on pick and roll. Yep. Um, you know, and if you have Ja, of course, who can hang time forever and also makes great split-second decisions – I love that team. I mean, you know, it's uh, well, they have I, Desmond Bain what, on their team, so of course, is, yeah. But I don't know, my <laughs> guy, it's JJJ, man. Give me what happened to that dude, you know? Jaron Jackson is it Jaron Jackson Jr.? Am I getting <laughs> yes, it wrong? Is yeah, it Johnson? Yeah. I got it no, right. No, you messed I mean, it up with Johnson. For so, yeah, he's gotten gone for so vaccine. long, I forget his name, yeah, <laughs> but uh. Remember how great he was before he got hurt? First, yeah. he was this this force in the paint, and then he began to bury threes. The ugliest forty percent three point shooter in the league. The ugliest uh, shot yeah. that make goes in forty percent of the time. Which is why I've never like, if I'm being totally honest, like never all the way bought into it because. Uh-huh. But imagine him on this team. Yeah. I mean, well, they would be, you know, and and that coach is a good coach. Mm-hmm. You know, why so, hasn't why hasn't Jaron Jackson Jr. ever been in our like fake trade conversation like Ben Simmons? Because he's untouchable, I'm sure. They, that's a smart organization. Yeah, you know, there's no way that they're gonna trade him for God's sake. Uh, I I I wouldn't think so, but I, I I'd take him over we, Collins in a blink. I'd take him over certainly take him over Gordon. You know, right. he's he's. How what is he? 23, 22? Yeah, probably not. Right? This would have been his third year, or is yeah. his third year? Yeah. And he was, uh, I think, yeah, he was a one and done from Michigan State. And it's really, it's a shame that because uh, he was supposed to be back by like New Year's, is what I remember. Maybe. Which is scary yeah. about it. I mean, that. Uh, you're right. I know. They're not like holding him out to tank. They're like the eighth seed right now. No, I know. And they, like they, 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 and they could be a problem in the playoffs. You know. If they had him back, well, probably too late now for him to really become. And, and let's face it, JV is having a career year, I think. Love uh, it. Valanciunas is great. Clark, that's the, the pick I bemoan. You know, imagine Clark well, on this team. You bemoan every Col- every player that the Grizzlies have taken that the Timberwolves did. <laughs> imagine Clark on this team instead of Culver, though. Just I mean, in- yes, Britt, I've imagined that many times. Could have had Sarge to boot. Give a oh, shout out man. to Andy Grimsrud. <laughs> six six man of the year, arguably, Dario Saric. Well, he's in the right role. He's a backup center on a team that uh right. has a, a great center get in foul trouble a lot. And and he plays with that first unit a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris and, Paul and, a lot. Yeah, Chris exactly. Paul makes six men, man. Schroeder oh. Schroeder should have won it last year. Yeah. And I know wait, who did win it last year instead? Why am I blanking out? It was Triz, oh, wasn't it? Harold. Yeah, watch as Harold. Um, because of points. And Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson's been good. But Jordan Clarkson will win it this year because of points. But Chris and Paul, because like. because Utah's really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I would, if I had to vote last year, I would have voted for Dennis Schroeder. Uh-huh. Because that's like. that's like, you love OKC last year. Well, I, I, 
True. <laughs> True. I just love um I love those guys who actually, you know, you you clearly, who clearly they have a... do improve. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, um, who have been like five years in the league at a certain level and like in year six or seven, whoo, they're better, you know? <laughs> there and you they're go. really they're the better for a reason, you know? I think we're fusing six men and most improved here, but although to be we don't fair, have votes. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, Sarich was really good in Philly. It's just that he was in the wasteland of Minnesota for a while, um, and and is so tough on himself. I've never seen a player um, so he, self berating. You know, he still does that though in Phoenix. Oh, I know, I know, but he He's has just... less opportunity to do it because he's successful. That's true. That's true. Well, naturally, I make one comparison to Anthony Edwards and, <laughs> and John Morant. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take a deep uh, a deep break a deep breath, <laughs> then a, then a break, and right. and we will we're gonna, let's talk a little bit about the ownership change. Have you ever said to yourself, "I love the fact that I've had the same pair of sheets since just after college, and I've never liked them." but I keep washing them every week and putting them back on the bed just like it's totally normal. Well, stop it. Brooklinen can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to boost their home essentials in a way that didn't cost them an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen, which is the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're so confident you will love their products that they even have a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is also so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, they've got pillows, towels, loungewear, more. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, M-O-O-R-E, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus, you get free shipping. That's Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code MORE to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE at checkout. All right, Britt, I have intentionally, um, when we've been at these games this week together, somewhat tried to stay away from the the topic of Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie you know, taking over the team because I want to just kind of have a, a longer conversation with you about, or I don't know, longer, but like sure. actually bounce some of the stuff off there because I do think our preference, you and I, is just kind of the way we live Timberwolves is more day by day, right? And right. and and so a, a win against the Miami Heat is, that's where we are at in our heads right now. Right. Um, but I think, you know, for a more rational, more sane Timberwolves follower, uh, you look at, this month of April and, and the Timberwolves story is the team being bought by Alex Rodriguez. Right. And, and that has potential profound impacts on a whole bunch of different directions um, for good. Certainly suggests the possibility of good. And it also suggests a possibility of like, what's going to happen, you know? Sure. And so, so what was your, the good may not happen in Minnesota. Right. Is that is that where your head went when you hear this news happen? Well, I right think away? you'd be crazy not to, um, mm-hmm. because that's the, the survivalist. You know, if you're a Timberwolves fan, um, 
you don't want to not be able to see your your team. And for me, as an NBA fan who has lived in this city since 1985, um, the idea of you know, for four or five years, I didn't have an NBA team, you know, in my, what is now my hometown. Um, and the idea of not having it, you know, as I teeter off into old age, um, is, is, it pisses me off. And yeah. that's one of the reasons I've always been a lot more of a defender of Glenn Taylor than most people. You have, you really opened me up to that insight years well, ago you when know, we were talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I just, that the guy really, uh, you know, a gangster from uh, New Orleans tried to buy the team and Stern stopped it and Taylor stepped in um, and the whole thing got, you know, all weirded out because of the lease arrangement that the city had to take over the building. And uh, yeah. it was a whole snarl. And Taylor, you know, endured through that whole thing. And then, you know, I mean, for people who, who say he was a terrible owner and, and are, you know, there's plenty of ammunition there. Believe me, I understand that. Um, but he paid KG $126 million for six years. Early. And, well, to the point where they rewrote the collective bargaining agreement because right. it was such a lucrative deal by such a relatively podug franchise in flyover country that they were worried about, well, Kobe's deal is coming up soon. <laughs> How much is he going to get if we don't put a cap on this? To the point where Shaq and KG... Um, were the grandfathered in contracts uh, for the longest time? They made more per season than anybody because the like salary cap, much. the salary cap hadn't caught up to that fifty yeah. percent, getting to that level, and so uh, it actually really penalized the Wolves. Two things penalized the Wolves in that period of time. Taylor's contract to KG was so lucrative that when they capped salaries after that, the Wolves had an, an inordinately right. expensive contract. Yeah, like imagine if that happened right now and it was like, you know, Cat's up for his rookie extension and you're like, well, we got to give it to him and the max is 45%. And then they rewrite the collective bargaining agreement next year. It's going to only be 20%. Actually, it's going to only be 20 Yeah, it totally screws you. Exactly. Like, and so I would, that, I would and then, go nuts about that. And right around the same time, although not exactly the same time, of course, they got they got caught with their hand in the Joe Smith cookie jar. So they didn't have any picks, you know, and KG because of KG, they were still making the playoffs, right. you know. And so uh, that's why whenever anybody wants to compare Cat and KG, I just laugh, you know, uh, you know. There is uh, no you've comparison. done that to me a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and part of it is yeah. age. You don't know until you, you know, you're there watching and all that other stuff just to see. But to you, the greater point, we wouldn't even be talking about all this sordid stuff because it would be a franchise in New Orleans or a franchise right. wherever it would be. Probably they would have been the OKC uh, transplant or something, you know. Mm. And so, um. That possibility does exist. It'd be crazy not to think it doesn't exist. Um, through the reporting of Chris Hine and probably others, including my colleague, John Krasinski, who, by the way, broke this story and is a guy I will always admire for 
providing insight and passion into the team as a kind of a fan oriented analytic guy and also somebody who does the nuts and bolts reportage of an AP reporter. Um, you know, he does all the heavy lifting if there is a quote unquote partnership between he and me in terms of the Wolves beat to the athletic, I have all the easy stuff. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I always appreciate his partnership. But I, I think it might have been Hine who basically broke down the exact payout. Um, and it was $50 million, uh, according yeah, to his report. To get out of the Target Center lease. Yep. To get out of the Target Center lease, which means that instead of paying $1.5 billion for the Wolves, they would be paying $1.55 billion um, to get out of the lease and have the Wolves. So clearly the language, and Taylor is pretty adamant about this, that he's going to have stuff in the language of the deal that's going to make it very difficult. And he also, and this is where I will be among the Taylor detractors, he's extraordinarily naive um, when it comes to these what quotes, is, man. These what quotes his fellow so billion, what his fellow billionaires are going to do is um, uh, it ignores the fact. And th this is where I come down. I, I should have said this at the beginning, but it would have just been the buzzkill that removed all the other prior conversation. <laughs> billionaires eventually find a way to do what they want. The only people that stop them are other billionaires. And in this case, um, the it's other a billion dollar industry, which is the NBA. And the other thing is, is that when was the last time a bunch of owners decided to set a precedent on limiting their own flexibility on how to run their team? That's the thing that people have to keep in mind here is that if you start to say, oh, oh, oh wait a minute now, you can't break that lease or you can't do this, you can't move the team. Well, all these guys, they're not getting any younger. They may have, like Taylor, may not have any family members, or maybe they just want... Yeah, they're not going to ag agree to decrease their own agency. They're that, planning on eventually selling their, you know, for ownership, what people never get is that it's the ultimate cost of selling the team. It's the inflationary... Uh, cost of franchises that is what these guys are all uh, making money on. Right. Um, and so, and that never gets talked about, by the way, when we talk about making owners chip in a greater proportion of uh, stadium revenues is look, mm -hmm. you're going to make that back and more when you sell the team, especially because you have a cooler place to, to play. Um, but that said, $50 million is not enough. I don't know if there can be language put in. One thing I will admire Taylor for is, and, and part of it is he, his ego wants to keep, keep his foot in, but he's got, he's given two and a half years, which amounts to two NBA seasons um, to have these guys be limited partners. After that, I would be surprised if, you can't say all bets are off because there will be language and there will be lawyers will get involved if it comes to that. But most bets are off about what recourse the city 
or Taylor or anybody else, other NBA owners, these guys, if they feel like it, can go somewhere. And and what's to stop them? Well, a couple Money. of things. So let, well, let me get in on that. So, okay. so what Taylor put out most recently is what he said is there will be a $2 billion relocation fee. Yeah. For for it for the team to move, that's and, what he said. And, and, so and they're, they're going to sign that. Why? So here's the here's the whole thing, and people can do whatever they want to do because all this is is and will be for years is gray. Even once we have more detail, because we will have the verbiage of the contract, we will have quotes from not just Glenn Taylor, we will have quotes from Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie, and everybody is going to be able to take all that stuff, put it down in front of themselves and put their own percentage on what they think of all this stuff. Right. That's what's that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying right now, Glenn Taylor is the only voice, is the only voice of a rele- relevant right. party in any of this that has spoken on it, and half of the shit he said is going to age real bad. It has right. some real potential to age poorly. I would love Wouldn't it. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Exactly. It's like... <laughs> He needs his lawyer to get him in here. Honestly, if if you are like the Glenn Taylor family trust, you need to say, yo, Glenn Taylor, like block John Krasinski's number, block Darren Wolfson's number, block Chris Hines' number, block Jace Frederick's number, because this stuff is going on public record. And I, it's just, this is a bad idea for, for the optics of all this will all go out if it goes down poorly. I have gone through all of the Seattle stuff, man. And it was the same shit. It was the same thing. And they're throwing out these ridiculous numbers of the relocation fee, all that. Schultz said the same thing in Seattle about that. You know how much, you know how much the relocation fee was to Oklahoma City? $30 million. So, yeah, I mean, that's 10 years ago. It's going to be bigger. $2 billion? Like, do you understand? Like, that isn't a $2 billion fee. What Glenn is, like, trying to assert here is, oh, if you move the team to Las Vegas – you're going to have to pay all this taxing and you have to build a stadium that's going to cost you all this money. Like, yeah, maybe then you can get to $2 billion. Maybe eventually owning and a team maybe, in Las Vegas. Maybe a, 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 another city that wants an NBA team won't spend a dime on infrastructure and stadium costs. Yeah, he, that, that would be only so- the first time in history that uh, <laughs> that would happen. But. He's making it sound like it's like some uh, – it's a fee. Who, it's not a fee. That Those are expenses of future infrastructure. That is not what a fee is. Like the fee's not going to be $2 billion. That quote is poor. And people are going to run – but that's the thing is people are getting – if this, if this move does happen, which I don't think is more – I'm not saying that's more likely than not – People are getting fed a bill of goods right now by Glenn Taylor, and they're trying to protect themselves by the fact that they want the Timberwolves to stay in Minnesota. They want to say, I love the Timberwolves. I love basketball in Minnesota. I want all these things. Glenn said it's going to be in the contract. Glenn said it's going to be $2 billion. Right. Don't fucking listen to Glenn. That's what I would. my suggestion would be to everybody is wait till Mark Laurie talks. Wait till Alex Rodriguez talks. Wait till the league talks. Or do your research on what has happened at previous stops because – Glenn Taylor is not a good person to listen to. It is not a completely encompassing fact here. And I would say the same thing to the journalists, too, covering it. Wait for this picture. There's going to be a lot more information to come, and there's going to be a lot more voices. Right now, the only voice is Glenn, 
and he's naive. And and let's take that two billion dollar figure for a second and say that it is not wound up in stadium costs or whatever. Yeah. Who is getting that money? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I, the owners somebody, is that what the is that what if the somebody is shelling yeah. out two billion dollars? You know, then are you really saying that uh, this Lori and A-Rod will have to pay $2 billion divided by 29 to all the other owners? Which, how, I, I can, I, can you imagine a lawyer having fun with that in court? I mean... <laughs> How That's why it's not real, man. It's not real. It's like $2 billion. That's essentially what you're saying is this franchise will cost you $3.5 billion yeah. if you want to do what you want with it. And so that extra $2 billion is in future infrastructure costs that might come on down is the that pipe. that what he said? No, that's the only way you can find a way to make it $2 billion. I would think so too. Yeah, that, 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 I it, it is. How, how are. They're not going to. The thing is, though, I actually I'm at the point where I'm not willing to say I think it's more likely than not. I, I don't know. I, I think right. I think I think both are real possible. I think a big thing the Wolves have in their corner is the league like the right. league. The league can put the up wants, some serious resistance. expansion and they don't mm -hmm. want. I think the league is going to eventually allow Las Vegas and Seattle in. Right. And I think it's going to be some fat fees. And those are, sure. you know, that is a typical Those are way. expansion fees. Those are typical yeah. ways of soaking, you know, new people mm -hmm. for the benefit of the existing people. But then those new people are the existing people. Right. Um, and so. No, that will make a bunch of money for the league to recuperate when they, when they expand. And, and that. Right. And I can see all that happening. I can see all that happening. One of the things that I think, and, um, this, this admittedly is hypocritical of me because I am not a proponent of um, of gouging public dollars to pay for private facilities. I've mm -hmm. opposed every stadium plan that is predominantly publicly funded uh, because I think it's bad, bad politics. Um, but if it comes down to a-Rod and Lori will be in a great position somewhere down the line if things progress the way I think they will progress to be able to look at the city and the state and say, we have, it's barely arguable anymore, we have the worst facility to yep. play in in the NBA. We don't have the luxury, the high rollers, you know, it's in this income equality economy. You soak the rich people with all kinds of perks, they get to be in short of naming the starting lineups. They can pretty much do what they want for a, a fee. And the Wolves are not in a position to be able to soak rich people with the construction of their stadium. There are more, it's been said a lot, there are more seats in the upper bowl than there are in the lower bowl. And the, the suites themselves, I mean, we're in them now for uh, our things right now. I'll tell you, I would not want to be a sweet holder and look around and, and say, well, this is, this is luxury boy, you know? Um, so. No, that's, point, a, that's a huge factor is that 
if the Wolves, if the Wolves had when they when they re- renovated the stadium, what was that like five six years ago? And it was a good upgrade. They did the best they could with the dollars they had. If they would have, yeah, then built something new. If they would have right. got the money then and built a new stadium, now when Rodriguez and Laurie come in to buy the team, if that still would have happened, right. now you're six years removed from a brand new stadium, right? Or or you maybe just broke ground on it, you know that. Had that happened, had Glenn Taylor done that, that would have really cut off a leg in the potential that if, again, if right. Rodriguez and Laurie even want to move it, right. that will be that will be their strongest asset is saying, we need a new stadium. Minnesota does not want to at all publicly fund it. Now, League, you're trying to get in the way of us moving. You've told us, no, 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 you don't want to do it. Well, look at this. Here is our, here is our situation we, we want to move because of this. And that is the story as old as time of pretty much every other move or every other recent move right. where, where that was obviously the Seattle to Oklahoma City situation. And I can tell you the reason that didn't happen is because of that snarl when the city began took over management or now, you know, the Metropolitan Commissions or whatever, taking right. over management of the, the city. Whenever you have like a publicly operated stadium, um, there are all kinds of complications and codices and uh, things available that if a, a new stadium would have had to unravel all that, it would have been, you know, uh, it would have been hard. That, that right. As it turned out, I actually, I think what happened was for a relatively small amount of money, I can't remember exactly what the 125, was. I think. Yeah. Okay. Million, you talking about the renovation? Million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for 125 million, which is not a lot of money in the in the stadium talking, um, you still 10 percent of what A Rod and Lori are buying it for. I mean, 125 million. Okay. Yeah. 10 percent. 10 percent. Right. Yeah. Still, 10 percent isn't a lot. 10 percent right. of the purchase price. You know. I know it's it's just okay. I think probably a lot of people forget that Target Center was even recently renovated. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I mean, that's what I was about to say. Is they because they probably it, haven't been to a game since they've taken it from an F to like a D plus. Yeah. You there, know, there's some nice like parts of it where it's like, oh, this is a good candy shell. There's also like the hallways and stuff, and the things that you and I see that the media are in that the players come through where the walls are falling apart. And things haven't been like glued back together. Like there's, well, I did a couple of stories on the whole Target Center thing. I'll give you just some flabbergasting facts. First of all, uh-huh. there are there are two elevators in the entire building. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. They have it. That's post. Was that pre? Renovation or post-renovation? I think it's pre... Actually, it's a good question. I think it must have been pre-renovation. But also, there's one loading dock. That's not great. When they had concerts, they used to basically have trucks circling the highway, waiting for the trucks that were there to unload so they could then come in and unload the second half of it. They were losing so much concert business to excel because yeah. of the cost of unloading and reloading their shit 
that they needed wow. to have another loading dock and expand the area and make it better that way. These are just very, very basic things. Well, it's a stadium Elevators. that was built in 1993 that, or whatever. It was, it was almost totally paid for, like over 80%, by two of the least wealthy owners in NBA history. Harvin <laughs> Marv built Target Center. I mean, when, when we talk about, you know, stealth heroes... And let's, you know, they were a comical pair. I mean, it was actually a lot of fun to cover them. Marv walking around, you know, he's like a 70-year-old guy in his leather pants. But uh, <laughs> it really, I mean, they were fun, though. You know, they were fun because they they scrapped themselves. They were a couple of kids, you know, that uh, had, you know, they were in business together and, and they loved the NBA. Marv was actually a huge NBA fan. He was kind of cool that way. But... They had no money. They were, you know, they weren't billionaires, not even a whisper of it. And so the idea that not only did they get to buy a team, but then build a stadium and get almost no public support for it, and that that thing still exists 30 years later is just, you know, that's almost a chap- fitting. It's almost that's a fitting. chapter in sports history, man, that, you right. know, from the beginning. And by the way, they moved out of the Metro Room, which set uh, NBA attendance records that still stands. The Minnesota Timberwolves have put more people in seats for an NBA season than anybody, more than the Showtime Lakers, more than Boom. the Dy- more than the Dynastic Boom. Celtics, you know? Yeah, man. That's why it was the, it was the, the year of Pooh Richardson and Ty Corbin and Bill Musselman and People did not sit down. They, everybody stood at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, it was just, and the place, the Metrodome was sold out for the Wolves. That still exists. And I wonder to what degree that will factor in to this whole Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie process. This understanding, because there is, there is a case to be made that, as, as a lot of people have, of like, well, what even is the major value of, of moving the team? You're going to have to go through all this stuff. You are going to have to pay some relocation fees, not right. $2 billion. Right. You know, you're going to be you're going to be hated. Like, Clay Bennett is hated in Seattle. Like, right. if, you know, if A-Rod comes and in And in other and places. So, and in other places. <laughs> more, like, you know, a lot of people would view it as a more. So there, there's like a, a real world here where they just go, Man, we just want to be NBA owners. Like we want to make money, and we believe this is a very good venture to make money. The it just kind of is, given how the valuation of teams just keeps ascending. Like they're gonna make money, so so they could. There's a there's a possibility that they're not just trying to be money thirsty and like how do we flip this for a billion? Right. You know, right. ten years from now, because you know there's a path to be taken to do that. And then that's what I'm, I'm highlighting is that. But they, they it's also, very possible that they would want to stay. And what's cool is that, um, what is A-Rod now, like 45, 44? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I But I so. assume he's in his mid-40s. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne Wade is what, like 38, 37, yep. whatever? You've got people in position now who um, they can't be the principal guy because they don't have that kind of coin, but they have serious coin 
And um, they're at an age now where they're pivoting away from uh, being an athlete and not wanting to be an assistant coach, a color commentator, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a brand manager or whatever. Um, and the, 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 the guy who set the example is Magic Johnson to some extent with theaters and all this other stuff. He became a very successful businessman and then bought into the Los Angeles Dodgers. But it is a natural outgrowth that high profile athletes who have made the kind of coin you could make now, you know, where you get seven. And in some cases, if you look at it over a, uh, a dozen years, eight, eight figure deals right. um, or nine figure deals, actually a hundred million. Um, That's why I thought you were going with that. <laughs> I, was, I, I don't know what was, know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, nine figure deals um, and they invest their money. Let's face it. You know, I mean, in this. Well, that's what A-Rod's done, man. A-Rod, like people. You know how we would always talk about, K- like, literally, you and I would talk about KG. We're like, yo, everyone, like, KG doesn't have the money to, like, right, be able right. to do this. Like, right. he, you know, he's going to be a limited partner, not right. a minor, like, he this minority partner. The that there's a- he's going to be the emblem. Yes. He is not going to be the bank. A-Rod is a different story. As I as I right. understand it from some people I've talked to, A-Rod, well, one, made way more money than KG did. Well, maybe not yeah. way more. He, but he made more money than KG did in his playing career. Right. And, you know, and KG had that, that whole snafu with the financial right. advisor. Yep. Snafu is probably an understatement there. Right. But uh, but A-Rod made more money and has, sit, has invested his money. Right. Um, I, I've heard that. I think his like net whatever his net worth is on the internet when you Google it is not reflective of what it actually is. Right. He he is currently the richer of the two between he and Lori. Oh, now really? Lori now Lori has some Lori will be. Lori uh-huh. has like and he's been a he's been in a bunch of different companies and, and all sorts of things that will he's got his he's got his fingers right. in a bunch of different pots and things that could right. sell and all that to you know, to blow up his net worth enough to you know, maybe Right. Maybe that net worth changes in two years. Maybe that's part of the reason why there's a mentorship window. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. so they have, maybe by that point, they'll have the $1.5 billion. We're out of the recession that we're in right now. What, some of those sort of things. Like, I right. think that's, you know, that's a, a factor here. But they, but A-Rod is, that's different than D-Wade. That's different right. than, right. this A-Rod, A-Rod doing this is MJ. Well, he, they, wanted to MJ. Buy the, they wanted to buy the Mets. Right. Yeah. Can you imagine, I mean, to be even in the conversation, and I understand a much richer guy just kind of strolled in and flicked them aside, but <laughs> to be even in the conversation of buying the New York Mets uh, means mm. that, you know, they weren't laughed out of the room, as far as I could tell. They, you know, didn't have the money that this new guy did. But okay, but what? speaking of laughed a, out of the room, the, the distance between the New York Mets and the Minnesota Timberwolves is vast, you know, in, in cachet, in cachet, in but cost. I mean, but NBA, but an NBA franchise. Yes. Once you peel the, right. the name tag right. off of it, you know, there's, there is, there is value, you know, there's substantial value in that too. And what, uh, especially if it's, it's a classic buy low, they're in a pandemic, 
You got a 78 year old yeah. owner whose family doesn't want it. The team has been historically terrible. If there's ever a time to buy an NBA franchise, low, it's right. now. So, so, what do you, what do you make of this Mark Laurie guy? How much I reading think, have you done on him? Uh, I haven't done much reading on him at all. I do know that um, he is already a billionaire, from what I understand, isn't he? Well, I, I don't want to say. I, I don't want to say things. I don't, I've talked to some people and I don't have anything like, right. I think he is like going to become a billionaire. If that okay. makes sense. All right. Um, so, okay. But he's had all these public comments of, or th that story on Vox, which is diapers.com. Like I thought, you know, there was so many jokes to be made about that, but. Um, uh, well, I mean, I'm, he... I'm hoping the joke is never made about how cat tells the story of stealing an A-Rod Jersey from Walmart the company that Mark Laurie was the CEO of only for 20 years later for Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez to steal Minnesota from whatever. <laughs> I'm done talking about that. Um, he, he's this an interesting character as I can gather it, you know, this Mark Laurie guy. And right. he's talked about a city of the future. And it seems like, you know, it seems kind of just like, okay, one of these super rich guys, Who's like probably smart, but maybe kind of squirrely head in the squirrely. There you go. Um, but I wonder how much of it. And, and I actually don't even want to take credit for this idea totally. Cause I've been doing these like locker room app live stream things and a really s smart dude who's come on and, and, and asked questions all the time and talked about it. He really pointed to the fact that like Minneapolis, if you are a squirrely dude who wants to create a city of the future, that's your stated goal. Like there, there, there's a reason to see value in that. Sure. In Minneapolis, right? And and he comes from Walmart, where he exploded their e-commerce. That's where uh, you know a lot of his right, wealth, right. a lot of his cash, personal cachet came from. Right. You can't help but like look at Target and Target's presence in Minneapolis and finding a way, you know, to really synergize the the franchise with them, the city with them, and create. You know, this very 2020s, 2030s city of the future idea. Like, I, I'm curious how much he's actually thought about that because he strikes me as a guy who almost exclusively thinks about things in that sort of way. Well, that, that would be great. That's that's all. This is totally new information to me. I usually try to leave all that bullshit away. But uh, the idea that he could interest uh, a bedrock business locally like Target, which, by the way, is made out like bandits, uh, pun not intended, uh, during this pandemic. I mean, they yeah. have done fabulously well. Uh, That's why so they have, they have a lot of cash lying yeah. around right now. Yeah. And so um, if there is a way, for example, to, um, you know, maybe it's a matter of... Uh, what type of meal do you want served to you when you arrive at the, the basketball game? It will be made for you and there will be a table for you. You know, here's your See, menu. Brent, I, I think that is even more like very localized to the games and the game day experience. I think what Lori wants to do is like 
invest in citywide infrastructure to put in this idea outside of specific to the Timberwolves. It like it sounds like like the Norm Green uh, Village, or or, or like the right. or I mean, like I uh, even... Ziggy and the you know the whole uh, apartments ringing the uh, Target Center. Something where the infrastructure changes immensely and there is a mogul behind this idea of what has changed the city to look cooler and he wants to be that mogul. Now, that can be infrastructure in, in terms of uh, the, the way you receive your goods. That can be infrastructure in the ways that you, you use your transportation. You know, what is the, the, the light rail versus all these sort of things. So just kind of re-envisioning what Minneapolis or Minnesota, maybe Minneapolis, call it the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, what that can be. He, that's, if you read that article, he seems like the guy who he's like, I've already, I've already done it. I already made my money. I've already won that game. How do I, <laughs> how do I, you know, like, how right. do I, what, what is my next, you know, what's the next Highland here, right? Right, right. And, and that's, you know, there's an arrogance to that that's a little off-putting, and of course, and I feel like I can see that in your eyes right now. But I'm just, I'm trying to paint a picture of the character that I am, as we right. as we sit here right now, don't know anything about them really in terms of right real interaction. Like this is the character that I have created. In okay, mind. so what my question comes back to then, because you're right, you read me well. I, you know, when I start to hear that kind of stuff, I go, you know, I, I look at my I'm wallet, not cheered for it. I'm my guessing. Wallet. All right. But what I'm Holding saying is, <laughs> does he care about basketball? That would be purely that, speculative. You know, well, and that to me, I mean, and the guy's a jerk seven ways to Sunday, but he is a cool guy eight ways to Sunday. So he's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Mark Cuban. Yeah. Is an owner that has been nothing but great for Dallas Mavericks basketball, you know, in the long run, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing but great is an overstatement, but for the most part, why would you, you would always want to me, he is the epitome of of a great NBA owner. He immediately upgraded all the things around the team. When he joined the team, he's been really good about his hiring decisions. He's at every game practically. Um, Seems like he kind of stays out of the way. Yeah, and and kind of well, maybe I mean, getting better well, about that. Well, I mean, Rick Carlisle and Don Nelson have been there forever. Yeah, Gerson Rosas yeah. was there for three months. <laughs> exactly, and they let him go. Yeah, I mean that's impressive yeah, in and of that itself. That is true. I so, think that's the hope, right? Like, if we are going glass half full here with the whole with this whole Timberwolves situation, because as we acknowledged, there is this scare tactic. There is this something could change. The, the glass half full is pretty exciting. It's fun. If they, it's, if they are, are if, if part of uh, this dude's new city is a nice spanking arena and uh, a good basketball team, and a good basketball team, or at the very least, attempts to make a good basketball team, yeah. hiring the right people, getting out of the way, um, and also being able to step in when necessary to step in. Um, I don't know when those situations are, but they could be. Or, you know, well, I mean, uh, obviously one of the templates, and this is probably one of Glenn Taylor's strongest arguments, 
Glenn Taylor owns the Minnesota Lynx. You know, right. it isn't like Glenn Taylor has screwed up that end of things. That is a model franchise for the WNBA. Right. You know, Indeed. how does a guy totally ruin one side of the ledger and totally glorify another side of the ledger? You know, it can't all be Glenn Taylor. You know, That's if you get the people right you people in place, yeah. exactly. If you get the right people in place, if you get a Cheryl Reeve and, you know, you get people who get, you know, people know how to yeah. draft. And when was, when was Cheryl Reeve hired? Right I around when about, David Kahn was hired, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, their first ring was in 11 and she was there for that. So it's been at least 10 years and probably like 12. And then she became right. GM. Some like she didn't, she was only about four years ago or so, yeah, maybe even right. three. It wasn't right. that long ago, but she was, she's kind of like pop, you know, mm -hmm. maybe not GM, but certainly right. people listen to her. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be long. This whole thing is, is going to be long. There will be a lack of, you know, resolution. I don't think it's something I, just individually. It's not something to linger on and to like constantly be having the battle of, oh, they're going to be moved or not moved or whatever. Right. But like what I think is a fact is it will profoundly change the organization. It, profoundly, this new ownership, which could be in the form of a move but certainly in a total change of the culture and the perception and the people who work there. You know what I mean? Like it would be quite surprising if Alex Rodriguez and Mark glory came in. They're like, Oh, who do we got in house? Glenn? Like, Oh, that's your basketball operations staff. Cool. Thumbs up. That's your business staff. Cool. Thumbs up. That's your everything else staff. That this is the way you guys do things here. Yeah, we're cool with all that. You really think Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie are just going to be like, wait, this franchise has been dysfunctional for 30 years and nobody can't help but mock. We're just going to let them keep doing things right. the way they're doing, even though that's not true because you and I both know that the, bas the way basketball operations right. has shifted over the course of these past few years. Obviously, the business team has has shifted. It's not actually Glenn's family anymore, like right. that sort of stuff. Like there, there have been adjustments, so it's not to, to indict that. But I don't know if you and I came in to, to own this team and we were aware of the sentiment the team cost, you would almost just, you know, lift up the floorboards and re relay a, a foundation just in the name of doing something different, right? And so and, that's why I say that is the minimum profound impact. And that's a profound impact. And I will piggyback on that by saying that is a logical line of thought. And that oh, is whenever all... you say my stuff is logical. No, it means no, you no, disagree. no, 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 I'm not. I'm, yes. I'm an extension. This is not. This is actually uh, okay. uh, adding, putting more meat on your bone. Okay, okay. It is already, I guarantee you, affecting the way Gerson Rosas is thinking about this team. Oh, he just got a two-year, he just got a two-year, uh, one of the, an hourglass. They flipped it over. Glenn said, two and a half years, buddy, flip. And that and sand is running. Know, and we do not know if that is, in fact, a two-year hourglass. Well, that's, that's the maximum. Has, <laughs> I think he has two one-year hourglasses. Mm. And sure. one is flipped over now, and they're going to see if the other one should be flipped over. Or maybe 
um, one of the ways that this new ownership group wants to come in and say, all right, Glenn, we will listen to you on X, Y, and Z. And before I I say this, before I say this, this has nothing, all all the characters are fictional in what I'm saying here (laughs) to some extent. But if they said, for example, you can keep Ethan Casson as your guy, mm-hmm. but that means you need to get rid of Gerson Rosas or vice right. versa. Sure. Um, Glenn may say, well, you know, I don't want that. Okay, fine. If you want to keep resisting on this point, then it'll be, there will be internal negotiations. This mentorship between <laughs> Glenn and these other two guys is going to be more of a two-way street than people are saying right now. And so there is going to be some internal conversations that will also affect the way that the Timberwolves are operated and maybe happening right now. Um, At the same time, though, Britt, don't you think, like, there's part of you, if you're Gerson Rosas, go, well, I'm kind of excited there is this two-year mentorship period because I at least get a shot to, like, prove myself guys and besides he probably thinks more like those guys than like glenn on the other hand (laughs) easy yeah for sure well except that you know remember that love fest when you know they had the uh yeah but we all of us with eyes and noses well uh, but you know it was a it was a very effective kumbaya celebration no it wasn't no it wasn't brit you ripped on that kumbaya every day because it was (laughs) obviously most of the roster is gone or the head coach is gone but aside from that (laughs) <laughs> I call your bullshit sometimes too. <laughs> anyway, I do think that you have a situation that is a dynamic situation, which for a team that um, fell out of the playoff race sometime around Christmas is probably, <laughs> you know, a good thing right now. You know, I, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's interesting in how this now all but like to what degree do you let this impact you if you're Gerson Rosas, right? Like we already have this super interesting offseason coming up, which outs pre pandemic very, very, very reliant on a lottery ball. Oh, lottery balls. But it already like even if you did hit that forty percent of ha- getting your lottery balls, you have that you're already in that good situation. You you have an interesting predicament if you're Gerson Rosas of like do we take Cade Cunningham and plug him in with Ant and we're like, we're doing that thing? Or do we, you know, trade to go more all in to the Cat and D'Lo? Like, trade Cade Cunningham for a 26-year-old, you know? Like, I mean, that was already the predicament, right? Yeah, that, but I, at this point in time, if you I'm not even I'm not even asking for your opinion on what you're most If you're tripling past. down on I, Cat and D'Lo. I wasn't even asking for your opinion. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But it that was already this whole thing that the Rosas had to choose one of those paths, right? Right. That is right. what the, the thing is. That's right. And now you've got this other bird or devil on your shoulder or whatever. Right. 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 Where where you gotta go shit. Like I gotta we probably gotta win win next year. We gotta win in these next two years. So even if the smartest thing is to go parakeet Cunningham with Ant and like kind of either do two care more about your young than your old, right. even if that's the smartest thing, that's your projection. I think if I'm Gerson Rosas and Sasha Gupta, 
I'm like, I I think they do triple down on the Cat and D'Lo thing. To well, save what's their wrong? Um, I can push back on that. What What is wrong with um, a Mobley, Cat, McDaniel's front line for the future? I mean, that, a large... That it won't mobile... be good. It won't be good by the time Cat's, until Cat's contract is expired. I'm not sure of that. I mean... Okay, you Daniels think... already improves the way Cat plays. Sure, but like Mobley or any of these top guys, it's going to be like Ant, where there's going to be, I mean, odds are it's going to be like Ant, where you are like, man, we see the outline of a great player. It's just going to take us two years to color in within the Lions here. Cat will be 30 in six years, or maybe 31. 31. Okay, six years. Five years, four years from now, he'll be in his prime. Yeah, he won't be on the, or he's not under contract to the Timberwolves then. But I think that if you have a new look of how to do things, and it is a very promising forward look, and you have, I think Cat's ego, Cat's ego lines up very well with the idea of establishing something that is. So you think that's the best way to convince him to stay is to is to set yes. up this this young core because because I think the other argument is you just cater to him again, a la the D'Lo move, make another D'Lo move with this pick, where it's like here you go, cat, we got you another one of your twenty six year olds. Like, will you please resign? Will you please resign with us? I mean, he's extension eligible, not this some the 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 next. Like, I I think I'm not sure he would be like. Oh, this young core, the future of that is one that makes him more likely to sign. I well, that, that might be right, but I think the way he's more likely to sign is by getting him another one of his buddies. Okay. Which might be All worse. Right. And let's think about priorities for a second. What is the likelihood? Where's the ceiling? Where's the sustainable model for winning that this guy came in and promised? Right. Dude, Where I'm does with that you. lie? That lies with the young, the young. Well, not only that, but and also, Carl Anthony Towns is a twenty-nine-year-old, you know, venerable leader of an emerging team. Is not a bad look for Cat. You know, it's in fact it's a vindication to some extent. Um, Sure. You know, uh, uh, if you have a situation where um, if you look at the teams that are just going out and buying people, that model is kind of what the Timberwolves are looking at, and they can't compete. Buying people in trades. Well, uh, one of the ways, buying people trading for draft picks, yes. But yeah, that's what, I mean. what I'm saying is you're never going to get Kawhi and Paul George together. You're never going to get LeBron and AD together because you're the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I don't think putting three pseudo-max guys together with remnants of other talent is going to give you a ceiling. 100% agree. All right. 100% agree. I, and I, I I'm totally and, with that. There's the, I'm, the whole reason I brought this up is the hourglass. Yeah. All right, but what I would say is that gives an inordinate amount of power 
to the cat delo pairing that that put it the, this way um that is if, if you're betting at a, a horse race let's say it's a kentucky derby or something that's like a two dollar show bet that is not a bet to win that is a mm-hmm. bet that you're going to finish third and make a little coin um if you want to win, if you want to have a sustainable model for winning, then you look around and you say, all right, I will position, here's my position, my intel and my feelings on how this race will come about. I'm going to bet $5 on this guy, on this horse to win and maybe another $5 to place and $5 to show. Sure. If you do that, with a cat delo pairing, five dollars to win, five dollars to place, five dollars to show. More likely than not, you will not walk out with more money than what you put in. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think agree. Gerson, I think Gerson understands that too. Let's say he lives to fight another day because his two-year window is gone. He's bought himself another year before he's deemed not sufficient. That's true. I'm just very curious how he will. Because, you know, he has a clear-cut vision of what is the right, the smart way to do here. He would he would line up these two things. But that's things. already changing. I'd, so, you know, so I, 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 I wonder. I wonder how he, in his heart of heart, would – or they're, how they're, they are talking about it. Because, you know, I mean – Well, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Chris Finch is that he's not Ryan Saunders. And that is not meant – I don't think that Ryan Saunders was a great NBA coach. I thought he was a better coach than a lot of people did. But he does not have the gravitas. He did not have the gravitas with Rosas that Finch does. Finch is very, very clearly comfortable saying what he is going to do. Right. And 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 knowing that that is, in fact, what's going to happen. No, it, it's one of those situations where... If Gershon wants somebody to play, if, for example, he wanted Jarrett Culver to play, he would need to trade Jalen Noel, or he would need to trade the players to be able to do that. You see that in other teams, right. like happen, you know, happen right. all all the time with their GM right. because the GM, and the coach is like, "This is you gave me the team and do," it. and then the GM goes, "Well, we want these players to play," like Finch. Finch is like he's throwing Gerson a bone, or he did for a while there, and he put Culver in the rotation. I think the best Finch move thus far, and then I will let you finish, is he maximized Wancho. That was the good call. That bro. that is basically Rosas. He owes him one for that. For, um, for real, yeah. I mean, because yeah. Finch could have ignored Wancho, and and he's put Wancho in in large ball three situations. And in situations where the game has gotten a little ragged and players are spacing out um, more freely than they are in a lot yeah. of games. And that's the kind of situation there where Ron Wancho can, can thrive. Um, he has used Wancho with a, because he is, he has said Wancho is technically a four, but under certain circumstances, He's a different kind of four, and this right. is the way he should play. Sometimes Wancho's almost a five, and sometimes Wancho is a three, you know? I mean, there really are ways where Finch has maximized his capability. And, Which, to bring it back to the point, is yeah. is very helpful to Gerson Rosas, 
who is in this situation where he's going to be scrutinized over his moves for the the past 24 months. And, you know, two of the most glaringly negative, I guess you could say, moves are obviously Culver one, but then Wancho has been two. And not only trading for him, but doubling down right. on your bet on him. And you by, could argue signing the him. Rubio, Delo, yeah, the whole true. point guard construction. Is Which probably Finch is the- also a defender of. Finch also talks glowingly of Ricky Rubio. And actually played them. You and I were having this debate the other night when they, yeah. he did. He closed with them for quite a while before. Didn't he eventually put Deagle on no, the he, bench, though? No, no. He closed, he closed the rest of the way. Nas okay, came okay. in for Cat, but yeah, but that was, okay. well, Cat fouled out. But yeah, they did. They, they, they closed so, it up. Uh, I'm, uh, Finch has done, I've been impressed with the way Finch has walked the line between his own mind and what uh, he knows the team the team that Rosas envisions and the team that he has, right. um, I think he's done a good job of walking that line. And, and that'll be helpful for Rosas in this process of exactly his own, right. his own that time. Was always, that I always thought that Ryan Saunders was the scapegoat in waiting. That has been executed now. Um, Great there, detective work on your part there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, obviously a, a Greek chorus of fans are going, waiting for what? You know, I mean, why didn't we scapegoat that dude, you know, many months ago? So at the end of the day, it needs to be Chris Finch's team more than Gerson Rosas's team um, because a lot of what Rosas has done can't be undone. They are right up against the luxury tax. They need to make the most out of what's there right <laughs> yep. now. And it that is. is up to Chris Finch. And it, it's up to Chris Finch. It is, that is the path that this, it, it, there's levels to it, right? It's like, okay, right. Chris Finch is doing this right now. Now Gershon is tasked with like extrapolating out what Finch can do best into the off season and putting this roster together. And now we've had this third layer to it added. Ownership, right. Right. Where we had, you know, previously Gerson felt like the czar of all things. It's not going to feel right. like that. It's not going right. to feel like that. It is going That's to right. be the chief decision maker has changed. Once, right. once you put in. In this certain duo. ways. Right. In certain well, ways, what it right. is, is that Rosas is now um, the bridge in the chain, which is yep. what a Pobo should be. You know, he just felt day. he felt like oddly more like an owner, though, of like, like a real president. You know, right, right. Uh, yeah. Definitely everything yeah. I'm touching turns to gold. And then reality hit. But <laughs> but, you know, it you have a situation where nobody in their right mind now thinks that Jared Culver is going to be a uh, a top eight rotation player no. in the NBA. Um, and you have a situation where the organization needs to win games and maybe they hit it in the lottery, but at the end of the day, you know, it does come down to, can you build a functional team out of the core parts that you have? And if you can, what is become increasingly apparent is it will look different than what Gerson Rosas thought it would look. The and whatever it looks day, like, what, what, whatever it looks like too, 
will have an impact again on what this ownership does. Right. Like if, if they, if two years from now, the wolves are still winning 18 games, that's a lot different than if they're winning 48 games, right? They like, will not changes. be the wolves. I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves are very much longer. I believe if that happens mm-hmm. and, and Gerson because Rosa this will so, have failed. Yeah. And Gerson Rosa certainly won't be around. Exactly. I think if we're talking very briefly, I know we should wrap this up because we I mean, have you're to giving to me a, your at the end of the day. <laughs> we have to go to the press conference. Uh, but um, they have to get rid of Ricky Rubio in the offseason. If they don't, it's going to be a fascinating. I don't know what the gyrations are um, to, to change. I mean, don't you agree? You're the I, I, try, I tried to I tried to play with this two episodes ago after that. That game of just I went. See, I don't listen to you, so you probably have already covered this. Well, no, I mean it's just you're at this point where I don't know if if you get the pick, if you get the pick, you can't keep Rubio. That's another ten million. You've added like Mobley or whoever will cost nine ten million dollars. That's just how much that pick costs. So now you've launched yourself into the luxury tax, like launch a repeater. Well, not quite on your on your on your way there, but like. They're just not going to launch themselves in the luxury tax. Now, there's some ways where maybe, like, if Rubio being on the team only made it so they were, like, two, three million bucks into the tax, now you're like, okay, you can roll with that to start the season, or you can do other things on the margin. You can cut off, like, you could trade Josh Okoge at the trade deadline or, or something like that, whatever. Like, there are ways to, you know, there's ways to get around it. But if they have the pick, it, you've just... I don't know. Somebody draw up a path for me to keeping Ricky Rubio that like doesn't require like I get trades sent to me all the time of people are like, oh, here's this four team trade with 13 players. Like, <laughs> yes, you're right. In that situation, the Wolves are under the luxury tags and Ricky Rubio is on the team. It's just if only who the knows? other three teams agree. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And who knows? Maybe Sasha will be able to find that. But yeah. But pretty much they're 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 pinned up against that, and Rubio looks like he will be the martyr. And wouldn't Rubio want to go? I don't think it would be a martyr at all. I think he would be oh, yeah, a, yeah, willing, right. a, a willing, you know. He, <laughs> he would, he's a martyr to the extent that you know he'll be greeted by forty virgins or something. You know? <laughs> Finally, the guillotine is here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Um, again, this whole ownership conversation is going to be. It's going to have, like, we're going to do this every, like, four months where something's going to come up and it's going to be like, ooh, we have another data point here. And it will, like, it will adjust it. All we've had here in this week that it's been is the news that it's happening, some co- a lot of confirmation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. ...from the organization. Like, the players are already acknowledging, like, A-Rod is the guy. Right. And, but the only true data points we have are Glenn Taylor putting things on the record about what all this stuff is. And if you are somebody who has closely monitored Glenn Taylor's quotes over the course of time, you know that you're like, well, that one, those words didn't work. Like, so right, right. I would just, you know, that was my biggest thing. It's just cautioning everyone to, to not feel comfortable with it or not to be scared with it. There's so much more to happen with this ownership right. thing. We will obviously both be writing and talking about it going forward. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be a big, a big difference um, on the future of not just the team, but Minnesota in general, the, the, the city. He's Britt Robson, at Britt Robson um, on Twitter. Follow and read him there at The Athletic. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. I will be back to talk to you late Sunday night after the Clippers game. Until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah.